and me and our church are very indebted uh, to you. And uh, we don't take that lightly. But to, to just touch on the sense of humor, um, I was looking at the schedules to be able to get here tonight. And I couldn't take a bus from where I live because the first one would have got me here at about 9 o'clock tonight. So I had to drive to Kingston an hour away. And the, the first bus I can catch is at 2.30. I go to buy the ticket, and the lady tells me everybody wants to get on the 2.30 bus, so you know what I'm telling you. And I said, okay. So and uh, this morning it was 18 degrees at our house, so this afternoon it wasn't much warmer. So I sat outside waiting for the bus, and everybody else is inside because I want to make sure I get on the bus. And I get on the bus, and it's not quite full. When we leave Kingston, we make the first two stops, and at that second stop is a line of enough people to fill the bus. So obviously the seats are full, and we're supposed to make two more stops. When we depart from there, the guy driving the bus says, well, the bus is full. We don't need to make the other two stops. Nobody needs to get off there. So our, des our, our estimated destination in the Port Authority is 440. And I thought, yes, I'll have plenty of time when we get there. Well, then we got to where we were about to enter the tunnel, and it was an hour before we came out the other side. <laughs> so as it was, I still walked in the door just a couple minutes before church, and that wasn't because I stopped off for something to eat. <laughs> but God has a sense of humor. See, you know, he only gives us what we need. Now, I am glad if we'd made the two other stops, I'd probably be getting here when church is over. But And pastor would have, well, never mind. But uh, so uh, it is truly a joy for me to be here, and, uh, and I'm thankful and, and pray for us. We had 21 in church this morning, and uh, we're kind of a little odd. I was telling pastor that. Probably tonight we have 22 or 23. Uh, we have a couple people that are coming to evening services that don't come to the morning services, and I know that's just weird, but that's what's happening and uh, so uh, pray my son Sam's actually preaching tonight, and then Mr. Thomas is going to preach on Wednesday in my absence. So uh, pray for them. Uh, Sam is soon to be 18, and he's only preached a couple of times, and he's a little bit, all right, a whole lot nervous. But uh, I understand his feelings. So I want you to turn in your Bible to two places, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and Jeremiah chapter 1. By the way, Pastor probably forgot, and so won't I. We are Christmas caroling, just like we did last year on the 20th of December. And we, we happily invited uh, all of you that want to come, but Pastor hasn't told me if he even talked to you yet. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll have a good time, and we're planning a lot of fun and things like we did last year, and hopefully a little beyond. Matthew chapter 3. And verse number 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You can turn now over to 
Jeremiah chapter 1. We won't come back to that, so you can lose it. And I asked myself the question, what is missions? As pastor asked me to uh, preach tonight, I found myself, and, and at different times in our church, saying, what is missions? We have a tendency to separate foreign missions from local missions. You know, in, in our churches, we think missions is something totally different. But the real reality is that each one of us is a missionary every day of our life, or we ought to be. But somehow we've transformed the concept of missions into us by faith promising to give financially so that somebody else can go do the job. And I noticed here that John the Baptist over and over in Matthew, and you don't have to turn there, I'm not going to preach out of there, but it says that he's a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's nothing more than a voice of Jesus Christ. As I was riding to Kingston this morning, I looked at my wife, something popped in my head, and it was this. We're to be like the moon. The moon doesn't have a light of its own. It only reflects the light that shines. And you and I are supposed to be, what missions is, is you and I reflecting that light of Jesus Christ to a world. God has always used people. Turn over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in a day that was a mess. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I say I wouldn't like to live in the day that Jeremiah lived in, but I think it's very similar to the days in which we live. We saw that the churches were in, in apostasy, that they had departed from the Lord, that the preaching had gone astray. There was all kinds of problems. I want you to, I'm going to do this backwards. I want you to look first in verse number 14. It says, Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdom of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come. And they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gate of Jerusalem and against all the walls thereof round about and against all the cities of Judea, of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness who have forsaken me. And to burn incense unto other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee and be not dismayed at their faces lest I confound thee before them. I find myself sometimes sitting and wondering why is America or our world in the state that it's in today? We like to blame it on all kinds of things. But what's the real answer? You know, the reality is other countries are now looking at America as a mission field. Now, I'm glad they're awake enough to realize that America needs God. But at the same time, I'm disheartened that where, what is it, 80% of the world's Bibles are, is in need of somebody sending missionaries here to tell us about God. And what is it that's happened? My dad's father was born in 1885. 
and his mother was born in 1895. I don't remember him very much. I was six, six or seven years old when they died. Okay? They were not religious people, but they were way more moral than most of the people that attend our churches today. My grandparents on my mom's side were the same way. I don't remember them ever going to church. But you know what? They had more morals than most of us in church today do. What's the difference? What has caused the transformation in America? In our world? I think it's in the world. I'm just i stuck here in America, so I know what America is. I, I'm, other than Canada, I've never been in any other part of the world. Uh, except New Jersey. Um, <laughs> and I find myself coming to this conclusion. The problem that's going on in our world is that the churches have stopped preaching the Word of God. The churches have stopped living the Word of God. I want to go back to Jeremiah. And I want to go to verse number 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were at Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So it gives us the picture that we're in a pretty tough time in Jerusalem's history. But it was the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah. Verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. I think our first problem is we think Jeremiah was special to God. Do we think that Jeremiah is the only one that God has called and that God has, has formed in the belly and ordained to be that voice for him? But here's our answer. Jeremiah beat us to it. It said, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. How many times have you been somewhere, whether it be sitting on these crowded subways like they were tonight? You sit on them a lot. It's strange to me, okay? Um, I have to think about how to get here from the Port Authority because I do it so so few times and so far apart. But how many times has the Lord told you to hand that person sitting beside you a track or start a conversation with them and your answer was, Lord God, I cannot speak. Like Jeremiah said. See, missions is more than us putting of our of our finances into an offering plate and hanging posters on our walls in the church and saying we're sending somebody to go to a foreign field and to do a job. But it's you and I handing the track and inviting that person to church. Are you ashamed of your church so you won't invite somebody to it? I hope not. 
We ought to want to invite people to come to our church with us. We had two visitors in our church this morning too. Praise the Lord. They weren't first-time visitors, but they were visitors again. And then this is God's answer. Verse 7. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Verse 8. Who is it that's with us? It's the Lord that said, I'm with you. You know what? Mission starts with each person that's in Open Door Bible Baptist Church. That's where missions is. It's, it's, it's in you and I living each and every day for God. I say this to our church often, and I'm going to say it to you probably several times tonight. Christianity, if you are truly a disciple of Christ, if you've truly given yourself to God, not added Him to your collection of idols, but truly given yourself to God, yielded yourself to Him and, and trusted Him as your Savior, then Christianity is who you are, not what you do. And if it's what you do, then you need to get that right. Because you don't have it right. If we can take it off like we do our code and leave it behind, then it's not real. It's not who we are. Because look what happens here as we continue. Verse 9, Then the Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. You know why it is that you and I, when we're sitting next to that person, down here I can use the subway. That doesn't work where we are. But when you're where we are, you've got to be standing next to the person in the checkout line. You have to be doing something like that. But you know the reason why we say I cannot speak when God uh, places upon us the, the desire to give that person a track or to invite them to church or to begin to talk to them? It's because we don't know the Word of God. You know, how, how can we talk to someone about God when we don't know the Word of God? You say, what are you talking about? Well, here's your fear. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? You say, that's not your fear. I bet every person in here has run into that. What if I say something, but it's not exactly right or something like that? Then why don't we study the Bible so we know what it is that we can share with them? God told Jeremiah, He said, I put my words in your mouth. You know what? Do we have, have we hidden the Word of God in our hearts? I looked at our church the other day and I said, memorize Scripture. You know, I got prompted when we went to Massachusetts and um, Brother Turner was preaching and he began to talk about we ought to do some of them things churches used to do like memorize Scripture. And I encourage our church to memorize Scripture, but that just sparked it again for me. I have to tell you, the older people, especially in our church, when I look at them and say, we're going to start memorizing Scripture on Wednesday night, they roll their eyes and they go, <sighs> and we do it anyway. That's what it is, and we do it anyway. And you know what? You'd be surprised. They do it too. But we're getting to the interesting part here. Verse number 10. 
It says, see, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. One of the things I noticed here was the first things that God told Jeremiah to do seemed destructive. God told him to tear down. God told him to destroy. God told him to root out. We would look at that and say, that's destructive, isn't it? Depends on how you look at it. If we were to, this is a hard illustration down here, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. But if we were to go and start erecting a building on a piece of ground, there aren't any left here. Um, If we were to go erect a building... And just leave the ground the way it was and just build the building and build this beautiful, nice building. What have we just done? We've created ourselves a major headache. Because we didn't prepare the ground first. And I fear that often what's happening in our churches today, and I don't know as if it's new is that we're trying to build before we root out and before we destroy some of the things that we have in our life that create a foundation that won't stand. You follow me? Well, I'll get more specific. Don't worry. Um, How can we expect to be a testimony for the Lord when our talk doesn't match the testimony of the Lord? You ever do this, and I'm sure every one of you have, it happens to me often, and I've seen it happen to the people in our church, somebody that they work with or a friend of theirs knows that they're a member of Cornerstone Bible Baptist Church. In your case, your friends know that you're a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And when they're around you, they begin spewing out all kinds of vulgarity. And when they finally catch themselves, they look at you and go, I'm sorry. Because they did that. But if you joined in with them and talked just like them, they'd have nothing to be sorry about. And we wonder why we're not reaching our world, although we have more money and more Bibles that are going wherever. And it's got to do with our personal life. We haven't rooted out and tore down and destroyed those things that are hindrances to the work of God. I preach against the television a lot at our church, and I'm probably not uh, liked real well for it, but they keep coming back. What can I say? Um, No, to be honest with you, I think we're living in a day when people really want to hear the Word of God. You know, it it is so flowered and perverted and, and changed into something that God never said most of the time. And I think when we truly preach the Word of God, and it's not new for our day, I think of Nineveh. Nineveh was called that great city, and it wasn't because it was a wonderful place. But it was a vast city, and God pronounced His judgment upon that city. You know it. But God sent a man named Jonah there, and I won't preach on Jonah. You're all familiar with Jonah. But God said, go there and cry out, thus saith the Lord. And when Jonah finally went to Nineveh, however he was persuaded, when Jonah finally went to Nineveh, 
and cried out to those people, Thus saith the Lord, we found that God did a work there and that God turned his hand from the destruction that he was going to do. And my, my concern today is that our churches, not the world out there, why do we expect the world to live any different than the world? Do we really think that the presidency and those in the White House are going to change the moral stand of America? Not when the churches aren't preaching it. They're not godly anyway. They're going to live ungodly. That's what we ought to expect. But when the churches are living ungodly, it just encourages where they are. What do we need to tear down? I struggle with this one. Not really. I just preach it a lot. We go home and we turn on a television. And I have yet to honestly find anything worthwhile to watch on the television. Even if you can consider it something that's not ungodly. We'll turn it on and watch two hours of television, but when's the last time we went out and passed out tracks for two hours? If your pastor were to look at you and say, we're going to go out on visitation for two or three hours every week, you'd look at him and think that he was nuts. And he is, but not for that reason. We think about it. Even those things that we can turn on on the television that might not be ungodly, and I guess I'd leave you to be the judge of that because I don't have cable TV coming in my house, and I haven't for over 15 years. And I won't bring it into my house. Because I believe that there's really just, even the advertisements are ungodly. I mean, there's nothing in there that's godly at all, but if you've convinced yourself that you're watching something that's not ungodly, then you need to ask yourself, is, or is that taking your time away from something else that God wants you to do? God said that to Jeremiah, I've set thee to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. What is it in your and my life that's hindering God Using you as a missionary in Open Door Bible Baptist Church. What is it in your life that's hindering you from inviting your neighbors? You from being that light that would cause people to want to come to your church because they see something different in you. What do we need to tear down? What do we need to destroy? We so many times, and, and I'll quote your pastor my pastor, he said to me one time early on in our, our church plant work when I talked to him that anything, I asked him what to do about something. This is how he answered me. He said, anything that takes you away from pastoring that church that God called you to pastor is a sin for you to do. I'm sure he remembers saying that to me. Now, I'm going to change that a little bit, but I'm going to word it like this. But anything that you do that takes you away from being the Christian God called you to be is a sin for you. Not only is Christianity who you are, not what you do. Here's something that we need to think about. I'm trying to do this with our church. Christianity is your career, not your job. What's the difference? 
We have it backwards most of the time. We think that Christianity is our job and the work that we do to put food on our table and to meet all of our needs is our career. Isn't that backwards? The Bible still says if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He'll add those things to us. Christianity is our career. The things that we do out there, the necessities and the things that God gives us to provide the food and to pay the bills and that stuff, that's merely a job. A means to an end. But Christianity is our career. You know, I learned to love Brother Horton, and I know most of you did too. Probably all of you did. But you know, one of the things I loved about him the most was he didn't ever want to quit. It was just a career to him, and all he ever wanted to do was preach. You know, the last time I, I had heard from him when he was in the hospital, what I got was he just wants to preach. He just wants to preach. He just wants to preach. If you knew anything about him, we had him come up and preach an eight-day revival for us. Brother Horton preached an eight-day revival for us. And I have to tell you, to my shame, every single day he was pushing me to go knock on more doors. Hours every day. He was pushing me. To him, Christianity was a career. And it ought to be for us. What kind of things do we need to tear down? Have we built up idols in our life? You know, it's easy to do and often hard for you and I to see. Idol can be a whole lot of things. It can be someone dear to us. It can be our children. It can be our job. It can be our new car that God blessed us with. It could be a number of things. But when we recognize that as something other than the tool that God gave us to use to serve Him with, it's become an idol. Several years ago when I was a young Christian, this was one of the things that, uh, I'll use the word, humbled me. A man had a almost brand new one-ton pickup truck. And he was an evangelist that was working at our church doing some things. And I was young. I was 20. And he wanted me to go get some supplies at the lumber yard. And he threw me the keys to his brand new pickup truck. And I moved and let them land on the floor and said, I can't drive that thing. And it wasn't that I couldn't drive the truck. I've driven trucks and tractors and those kind of things since I was young. I just felt, that's a brand new truck and I'm not driving your brand new truck. And he looked at me and said, it's not mine, it's God's. God's given it to me to a tool, as a tool and I want you to use it so we can serve the Lord here. Pick up the keys and go to the lumber yard. And I looked at him and said, yes, sir. And with white knuckles and trembling, I drove his brand new truck to the lumber yard. But I'll never forget that. What is it that you and I have that we wouldn't be willing to say it's a tool that God's blessed me with? I'm not saying we ought to be foolish with the things. We're stewards with what God's given us. But if it's something that we're not willing to use as a tool, but we guard it with our lives, it's an idol. And we need to tear it down. We need to get rid of it because God wants to do a work if we'll only let Him. 
what things need to be destroyed. Do we have things in our life that you hang on to? I, I, I don't want anybody. To, sometimes I have to be careful in our church. We're small enough. Sometimes they talk to me when I'm preaching. And I don't have a problem with that. But sometimes they embarrass themselves. And I don't answer me. I, my goal is not to embarrass somebody. But how many times do we have something in our life that we know is not honoring to God? But we like it. And we just keep telling God no. We might not say it in these exact words, but that's really what we do. We ignore it. When God brings it up and tells us that we need to root that out, it needs to be gone from our life. Hey, doesn't the Bible say if you're right, I offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from you? Hey, you understand, I know everybody here knows what that means. You know, it's talking about if there's something in my life that I can't handle, I'm better to get rid of it. You know, to me, in our day, one of the biggest things that's a trap like that is that stupid Internet. There's been more problems and more people have, have, have succumbed to evil and wickedness over the Internet. You know why it's so easy? I can go in my own room. and I, Today, you don't even have to go into your room. You reach in your pocket. You pull your phone out. You're concealed right there. Nobody can hear anything. Nobody can see anything. And you can look at anything you want to. You can listen to anything you want to. You can buy anything. You, you can go on there and gamble. You don't have to tell anybody about it. You do whatever you want on there. And nobody knows but God. You know what? That hinders the work of God. I want as much as you do to see Open Door Bible Baptist Church be a light in this city. Lord knows this city needs some lights. And I'm not saying it's not. But don't you want it to shine its brightest? Each person in here makes up what the light is. Your life in here makes up what the light is. Missions is not... I know we do a faith promise thing, and I, I'm glad we do. I do that in our church. But it's more than just of, of promising to give by faith, but rather, how about I promise God that that thing that I'm struggling with, that sin that does so easily beset me, that I'll, I'll give that to God by faith. And if it means that I pull the plug on my internet then pull the plug. If it means that the television lands in the street, then throw it in the street. Whatever it is. So that God can do a work in your and my life. God said to Jeremiah, I have ordained thee a prophet. I believe with all my heart that God has put this church here just like I believe God put our church where it is. Yes, he's got a sense of humor putting Pastor Montoro and I together. And you know what's funny about it is we, we minister to almost as many people from down here as we do people from up there because over 70% of the homes up there are for people down here, second homes that people from down here own. God knows what he's doing more than we do, doesn't he? It's amazing when we think about it. Will you be that light? Will you, rather than being just a little dim glow, because you have so many things that are shading the light, 
That's those sins, those those areas in your life that God is speaking to you about, hopefully even this week during your missions conference. I look at each one of those like that, you know, the lights like shining from the ground and we put like a screen or a net over the light. You know, the first time you put a screen over the light, it doesn't seem to change it a lot. But when you put layer upon layer over top of it, before long, the light will all but disappear. And our lives are filled with these nets, snares of the devil, that need to be removed one at a time. Maybe it's, do you spend time in prayer? I've spent almost an entire year in our church preaching on prayer. Our theme is, Lord, teach us to pray. I tell you what, there's a whole lot in the Bible on prayer. Wow. Maybe we don't pray. You know, that's one of the nets that covers the light. Maybe I'm not reading my Bible. I've encouraged the people in our church, read your Bible. And don't label me wrong. I look at them like this. If you'll read your Bible for two minutes a day, it's more than you're doing now. Just read your Bible some. Start somewhere. Read your Bible and pray. If it's, I don't care, it's five minutes a day, then spend five minutes a day with God. Start there. If you're not at all. And if you'll stay there and you'll be consistent, you'll soon find that five minutes doesn't work. Do we give in to the temptations of the world in the television, in our time, the internet? Our phones. I'm not necessarily against. I'm not necessarily against technology. We have a guy in our church that likes to think he's a computer geek. And every time, you know, he he started bringing an iPad to church for his Bible. Maybe there's somebody here, and this isn't my church. That's up to your pastor. That bothered me. It just bothered me. And yes, I went to him and said something about it. And his response to me was, and I know there's some pastors that probably use them, and that's their problem. Um, (laughs) There's only one pastor that I can give grace enough to to say that he can use his iPad that I know of, and there's probably others, but Brother Stevens can use his iPad because he can make the text big enough so he can read it. He's the only one that I know of that I would let stand in our pulpit and preach with his iPad, and he did. Okay, But you know what? The problem with bringing your iPad to church as your Bible is that it's not only your Bible. Everything pops up on that stupid thing. You get messages. You've you got all these temptations to get into anything that you want to. And it's that easy. And pastor thinks you got your head bowed praying. And you'll let him think that. I'm not trying to be hard, but I think, you know what, the days come in our churches in America where we need to get hard again. You know, we got to be serious with God because we're in a desperate state. We need God to work. And last I checked, God still uses people. God doesn't just do something if we sit around. God has always called people and wanted to use people. And it isn't just one or two. It wasn't just that this call was to Jeremiah. But he wanted us all to serve him. He wants our career to be Christians and live it every day. 
And when we get back to that, we'll find that the moral fiber of society, I'm not trying to tell you that America is going to be saved. I personally don't believe America was ever a Christian nation. But I believe it had morals way more than it does today. Because the church cried, thus saith the Lord. And the way they lived matched it. Every day. I asked my dad one day, he told me his mother's favorite song was Amazing Grace. He never, my dad's never told me one time of his mom and dad taking him to church. Why was her favorite song Amazing Grace? It wasn't because she got it from church. But it was because the church was crying out then and living it in their lives. Will you live it today? Will you give to God those areas that he's speaking to you about tonight? Let's stand together. Pastor, I'll let you have a